Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Today's ambitious guest wanted a career on Wall Street, or so he thought. After growing up seeing his grandmother not receive the opportunity she deserved, Dante Miller was aiming high. It wasn't until he entered the world of old school finance that he realised that when the system doesn't work for everyone, it means it's not working. In today's episode, the founder of Grassroots Microfinance Organization, Village Micro, shares how to gain the courage to pave your own path, powering through the two-year excitement gap that you experience in the early days of business, and the value of using finance for good. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, firstly, welcome. And please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs and help us on our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome Dante. Dante, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the amazing work you're doing in the social impact and business space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you reaching out. I really do. <laughs> amazing. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm a military brat. I'll start off with that. I was born in Augusta, so I've always been a Georgia baby. Um, and I'm excited to be back in Atlanta. But 
um, bounced around everywhere. And, you know, really a lot of the things that I saw as a kid were kind of what informed my work today. Uh, like I always tell people the story about my grandmother and about how like watching her want to have a restaurant and not being able to do that really kind of made me think about business differently. So when I finally got to school, I just started to go into finance and, um, it just was a long winding road that led to here. Uh, but yeah, so we run the village microphone, uh, what we teach, we invest and we support black entrepreneurs. So cool, Dante. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love it. When I looked into it, I was like, this is just epic and not enough of us are doing this. So it's so cool to see that that's what your business does. And you've been in it for such a long time now. I guess I want to dive into your work and into more about the, the village fund, but before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, what was it like growing up in Georgia? And, you know, how has it impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I was born in Georgia, but I really grew up everywhere. And um, when I really felt like came into my own was in South Carolina. And I was, uh, my, my grandmother was there. And like I said, my grandmother was like this just community figure who, Really, like, she fed the entire neighborhood. She was a neighborhood grandma. Everybody called her grandma. And uh, what I didn't really realize is that we were actually crowdfunding food. Like, you know, people would come together and, you know, the, the sum is greater than the parts. But, yeah, just everyone would always say she had this amazing food. You know, she should have had a restaurant. It just made all the sense in the world. But my grandma was not a restaurant owner. She worked as a sandwich artist in Subway. Um, so, you know, just not only like thinking about how differently her life would have been, you know, had she actually been able to even have the chance to try something like that. And I also think about all the kids that she would feed, like, you know, a lot of the people that I grew up with, a lot of my homies, you know, they were ambitious, um, and they were looking for something, but we didn't really have a real example of entrepreneurship growing up. Um, it was like you saw someone that was on a straight and narrow path, then they were probably a truck driver or a plumber, you know, even if they did own their own company, you know, plumbing isn't exactly sexy. Uh, so <laughs> a lot of the, uh, the more ambitious kids, they, they're not looking at that, you know? So I think that a lot of those experiences, it's like, you know, seeing people that were every bit as smart as me, every bit as talented as me, um, but just didn't have my opportunities uh, and we ended up in very different places as a result. And that's not to say that like my work, you know, didn't contribute to that as well. But I do think that, you know, had people had the same chance and things might have ended up a lot differently. Yeah, I just so agree. I'm nodding along because I think it does come down to opportunity and what you do with the opportunity. You know, I think for you seeing your grandma growing up and just seeing how her life could have been that much more sweet if she had her own business and if she was running the restaurant and whatnot, you know, in the early days when you were just, you know, in college and, and growing up, how did you put two and two together in terms of, okay, a business could ultimately mean so much more than, than, you know, being a plumber or whatnot, you know, how did you put two and two together and, and what were you like as a kid kind of growing up, you know, and tell us about Dante, the early years. <laughs> early years. I mean, I've always been very curious I've always picked up on things really quickly. 
but I've also always had like a, uh, I guess a rebellious side. <laughs> and that's where me and my mom used to butt heads a lot. Just growing up, my mom was always very uh, forthcoming about the fact that she did feel like she was smarter than her boss, but she was an executive assistant. Um, that she had all these opportunities that she could have had because people recognized how smart she was and she just didn't take them. And, you know, she always told the story just to be like, what if, like, you know, if you have these kind of opportunities pop up in your life, you should take the risk. And I don't feel like she knows that that's what she taught me because oftentimes, like, even when I started the village, she was like, what are you doing? Um, (laughs) Because ultimately, like, when we we finally decided to do this full time, I've been to Goldman Sachs, I've been to Google, I've been to the Federal Reserve. And I just decided to take the risk. And she was just like, what are you doing? Like, why would you turn all that down to go be back home in broken Atlanta? Um, and, but I've, I've always been a rebellious kid. I, I have. Like, I did so many group activities because I was not trying to come home. I was adventurous. Um, I was curious. And I didn't mind <laughs> sometimes getting in trouble if I felt like it was worth it. <laughs> so... That was the kind of kid I was. and But growing up, like, we didn't really know much about money except for, um, you know, you couldn't really do anything if you didn't have it. And, yeah, Morehouse did really change my definition. It was great. I didn't really have any big plans when I got to Morehouse. I just, I thought that I could, you know, do what my mom said that I should do. You know, maybe get a nice, comfortable job as an accountant somewhere. But, yeah, I mean, um, I met. Kenneth Williams, who he started a scholarship foundation when he was a sophomore in college. And that impressed me because that wasn't even something I knew he could do. Like all of us were complaining about how hard it was to get a scholarship. And he was giving away scholarships as a sophomore. So that impressed me. And, and they had this big, uh, every year Morehouse has uh, the Maroon Tiger newspaper, which is our school newspaper, releases a man of the year issue. And the man of the year issue is basically like, it's Mr. Morehouse. Like you get a centerfold in a magazine. They pretty much highlight all the most, all the impressive things that the people in the school are doing. And like, you know, the uh, man of the year is, is uh, the main one. Uh, and that's like, in my opinion, I just thought that, you know, of course, like he started a scholarship foundation <laughs> when he was in school. He should, he should get man of the year, but he didn't. Um, because the guy who actually got man of the year, John Wall, uh, who, who's another friend of mine, he actually wrote a note on Facebook that went viral and led to him helping charter a middle school. That really impressed me. So I I thought that by the end of the time I was in college, I wanted to do something like impressive. Like you don't have to wait to do something. You could do it right now. And then you have people that have done it as the example. So, I mean, yeah, like that was helpful. Then I was kind of sold the Wall Street pipe dream because you know, you go to Morehouse, you, Goldman Sachs comes. It is the pinnacle of Wall Street. And yeah, they sell you a dream. And we worked really hard to get that dream, me and Nathan Jones, who was actually like the person that we started this with. And yeah, we we're the only two people from Morehouse that year uh, to get to Goldman Sachs at, on the trading floor. And yeah, I mean, we learned a lot. We, we learned so much about just how money actually moves, how the world actually works. And just from that point on, it was like, these systems work really well for the people they're intended to work for. Um, But what does a system look like if it's designed to actually help the people that need this the most? Um, So we came back and, and really started the village with that in mind.
but it wasn't a straight path. We we went to a lot of different places. <laughs> <laughs> As we always do. I yeah, no, I'm I'm absolutely loving this story and your story, Dante. Just to clarify for those listening in, our peers listening in, Morehouse is the college that you went to in Atlanta. So um yeah, and I, I saw that you did accounting finance as you mentioned, you know, so it does make so much sense that like Goldman was the absolute pinnacle of what, you know, you could potentially become. You know, for our peers out there listening who are on that straight arrow, straight line trajectory. I mean, I was on it, uh, you were on it, and so many are on it. But as you mentioned, the system works really well for the people that it's intended to work for, but not for all of us. You know, what advice would you give to our peers and give to us around trying to figure out if the system is right for us? And if it's not, gaining the courage to go after what we actually want to do. I don't know if I'm the best one to answer this because people always looked at me like I was crazy at every step. Because to me personally, I, I went up there, I experienced the places that were the best places in the world to work. And I did have fun and I did learn a lot, but I still felt like I wasn't being fulfilled. And it's like at, at Goldman particularly, it was the, the culture of the company. It's like, it is very much so a culture of winners. Um, but when I say that, I mean, like, in every sense, like, it doesn't, there is no compassion up there. There is this doggy dog. And it is very much so, like, the even the intern situation for how you got the internship, it was they only hire through their internship. And there's, like, 160, let's say, trading interns. And there's about 60 full-time jobs. And you don't know what those full-time jobs are. But your job is to get a job. So it's a bunch of interns killing each other into like a financial hunger game. So for me, it was it was a pretty easy decision to make. I knew very early on, I was like, I don't like this. I'm, I'm not enjoying this. I don't enjoy, like, I'm learning a lot. I'm around very important people and it all looks amazing on paper, but I'm not happy here. And one thing that really like disturbed me um, was just about how many of the traders I would talk to and about how comfortable they were saying that like they hate their life. Because, I mean, you have to think about it from the perspective of a lot of times, whatever desk you work on, if you work on a desk that touches anything international, you have to get there early, 4 or 5 a.m. Your job is to prepare before your desk gets there. So by the time your analysts get there, which is at 6, 7, or 9, it's like they need to know what you're looking at, you know? So that entire process is like you might not get home until like the night. That is your life. Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty easy decision for me to make in terms of, I'm not a quitter. Like, I didn't want to like, feel like they ran me out of there. But also, this isn't making me happy. And I feel like my talents would best be used with, again, the people that actually need this stuff the most. So for me to make that leap, it was just that simple. How do we get better at figuring out if the path we're on is right for us? Like, for you, it was so simple. But for our peers out there listening, what if we just don't know and we're just trying to figure it out? I mean, see, here's the thing. It's like, it's a, it's a decision, ultimately. Like, you aren't going to know. It's never going to be clear. There aren't any right answers. Um, when I decided to work full-time with the village, it was a decision. I had been working at another job. At that point, I had been... There was an issue with the company where they just didn't have the money to pay us anymore. <laughs> 
And yeah, I kind of made a decision like I'm, I'm done uh, allowing people to tell, like, I'm going to force myself to make this work. And in that moment, you know, it wasn't like the village was profitable in the beginning. Yeah, we started this very young. Most people go through a full career uh, in investment banking before they decide to, you know, kind of retire and jump off the roof and do what they really love. Uh, so we kind of did it the opposite. And as a result, it was it was a long time before we could really like pay ourselves consistently. It was a long time before we were comfortable and had a team that was actually working with me. So how do you know? It's like if you have a passion, if you have something that's calling out to you, that those are the kind of things that are going to sustain you in times like that where it's not sexy, where it's like there's actually a, a chart that um, I want to say it might have come out of Y Combinator of like the natural excitement level for business. <laughs> and, you know, when you first come out, you have that peak of excitement. Every Everything's new. It's exciting. But then you get into the two year gap where it's like. This isn't new to you anymore, and you aren't the new kids on the block, and this is starting to get hard, and you're broke. <laughs> and, you know, that's like without just life things going on, just like, you know, adulting. Um, so, yeah, that, that can be really frustrating over time. And I do believe that the only thing that really gets you through that moment is just like, it's passion. Because there are a lot of times in the early days of the village where I just thought to myself, I mean, it was never like, this isn't going to work, but it was like, damn, I don't want to work today. And I think that every time I got to points like that, it was something that would happen with a student or something that would happen that from someone that I helped, like you see it win, someone will come and you'd remember why you were doing it again. And points like that are really necessary because the work is, it can be brutal and it can be thankless. Um, but if this is something that you're really passionate about and that you do it for free, then you are more likely to succeed because it does take a long time. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> yes. Yes. How do we keep going when we feel like, you know, we're in those early days, we've been hustling so hard, but it's year two and we still are not profitable. We can hardly pay ourselves. You know, how do we keep going in those really dark times where it makes no sense to do so? I mean, for me personally, of course you have a dream and a passion and that's something to run towards, but I also find that it's often helpful to have something to run away from. And in my case, it's like, okay, what happens if this fails? What are you going to do with like the Wall Street? <laughs> I mean, no, it's like there are a lot of things that I could do, but I feel like I would be equally as miserable in each one of those things. And it's like, when you when I really reflected on that, like in the moments of, okay, let's say you decide you don't want to do this anymore. What is it? I think that, you know, for me, People have a lot of tolerance for ignorance when you're in your 20s, <laughs> like less the older you get. And also, I try to think it from the perspective of like, this is a time where you're going to be the most comfortable ever in your life of being broke. <laughs> <laughs> and if you are, you know, thinking about starting a business and really taking that risk and going full time, it's like there will be a time where you are pinching pennies. Um, even if you do save a nice little nest egg, like you will be surprised at how quickly that money goes and there's no time like the present and you don't get to not take a risk you just get to choose your risk sometimes the risk is staying at your work 
Sometimes the risk is jumping off the roof and doing your business. But either way, you'll either make a decision or life will decide for you. Oh, such valuable advice, Dante. I want to talk a bit about the progression of the company. So, you know, in the early days, you're struggling, trying to make it all work, but you have this desire and this drive to keep going. You've been in this for about eight and a half years now. At what point for you did it start to tip over? Did it start to, you know, you saw some light at the end of the tunnel? You know, at what point in the journey did that happen? And and what did you do to get it to that point? What did the business look like at that stage? Yeah, I mean, um, what what helped me get to that point was the fact that you see flashes of, you know, like we're in we're going in the right direction before we hit that point. And that just came from us genuinely trying to be helpful. Like when we first started this, we had a you know, entrepreneurship workshop for the West End. Probably like four people showed up. Out of four people, one of those people was Keitra, who was our first ever client. And we just wanted to see how we could be helpful to her. Like, we realized that she <laughs> didn't really do accounting like that. Like, uh, she did, had no idea how much her pieces cost. And also, she needed a new stove, and that is expensive. So we had all these people in the community um, just kind of come together. These people had already shopped here and fundraised for her loan. Out of that, she bought a stove. As she paid the money back, she paid the uh, investors back. And in that, it's like, yeah, we helped her figure out, you know, a lot of different things, like how much your piece actually costs, like helped her with advertising, connected her to different partners that we had in AUC. Um, so out of that, it was like, okay, we had no idea what we were doing, <laughs> but we were helpful. And uh, people seemed to like really, you know, appreciate what was going on here. So like, let's see if we can do this in, in classes. And from there, it was like, okay, we're on to something. We didn't know really what it was. It's like everyone teaches has an entrepreneurship course. Um, but one thing that we had that was specific about us is the fact that ours felt more family-like, like ours felt more like community. Um, and we made an emphasis on that because, like, yeah, y'all, a lot of y'all feel like my grandma. <laughs> and uh, so um, when, we, when we showed up to class... And we had our first graduation. Um, again, not that many people showed up to the graduation, but it went really well. And we helped a lot of people. And the pitches at the end were really good. Like, they did really well. And we found out that we kind of had a talent. Like, we were on to something. And we had a bunch of partners that most people our age don't have access to just because we did have the experience at Google, at Goldman Sachs, um, and at the Federal Reserve. And you know, all these other places that our classmates have been. So we were like, okay, if we can, one, take this complex business information that is really just vocabulary and just make it conceptual and teach it to, like, people are smart. People can get concepts. <laughs> people don't want to memorize a whole bunch of vocabulary, and people get intimidated by that. But it's not hard. It's not difficult things. And if we can combine that with access to the community that we have, all these people in Atlanta that this small business owner probably isn't going to talk to, but we have access to. It always came back to like, how can we be most helpful? I feel like we really hit our stride probably around year number three or four. Um, 
you know, we had gotten a few checks here and there, but nothing substantial, nothing that was able to pay any kind of bills. I was pretty much a mercenary for hire. He goes, oh, you need a website, marketing, finance, accounting, what you need? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was like actually the class that um, our other co-founder, Harriet, was in. She was actually coming through the class as uh, the Tubman Group, which was a consulting group. And she had recently had the experience of being laid off by KPMG. So when she was graduating from that class, that was like, you know, one of my favorite classes. And just from that point on, it was, we already began to make our way in Atlanta, you know, talking to, uh, becoming just part of the nonprofit, like profit space and part of the finance and community space and part of the small business ecosystem. Um, I'd say that the reason that I was able to do that is because, you know, during the day when most people try to have a job, <laughs> uh, you know, the people that are at work and that do that professionally are at work. <laughs> so if I can also be at work and be at those meetings, it's helpful. And that as we started inviting, you know, getting to know just the Atlanta ecosystem and brought them out to that cohort, uh, they saw them perform. And that's when they really, Saw the vision. It's like, okay, I see these businesses. I see that, you know, they look amazing. People were inspired. And that was like, from that point on, we actually got our first investment. I mean, it was a grant. That was the grant that paid for me and Harriet's salary for the next two years. Massive, massive. It's almost like adding value until the point where it actually starts to pay off. And I think the struggle becomes is that so many quit before that point happens, you know, you had so many opportunities to quit in the first two years, in year three, or, you know, whatever it is, but you just kept going with that, which I think is just so cool to see. Look, Dante, we could chat for days, but I am mindful of your time. So I've got a couple of final questions for you. And the first one is, what has been your greatest failure and win to date? As a, as someone that, you know, consistently takes risk. I think that failure is just part of the learning journey. Um, one of the biggest failures, I guess not one of the biggest, but one of the most impressive, I lost $150,000 in one day on a bad trade. Um, that was my own personal money. So that was fun. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, that was ultimately coming from like chasing a trend. I was, uh, you know, like, short-term behavior is very difficult to predict, but long-term behavior is easy. Um, so I'm very good at predicting long-term things. It might be a year too early, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very good at predicting what's going to happen in the next three to five. I've always kept my investing strategies on that. You know, I'm investing for long-term. Um, this isn't something that I'm expecting to pay off immediately. Uh, but something that I believe that will grow over time because short-term investing is a voting system and is a popularity contest. But long-term, it is a weighting system. And how much it weighs is how much it weighs. So I've always bet on that because I can predict that a lot better. But in this case, in this scenario, I did not do that. I was chasing a trend. It was uh, the GameStop trade. <laughs> it was when Robinhood turned off their exchanges. I bet on the other side of it. And um, I turned $1,500 into $850,000 and then lost it that day when they turned off the exchange. And yeah, I mean, 
again, I broke my rule. <laughs> and I, I made a short-term play, which I don't normally do. And it came back to bite me in my ass. So I won't be doing that again. <laughs> yeah, so lesson learned. Um, and yeah, but I, I think mistakes are a natural part of business, especially when you're trying something new. Especially like what we do with financial systems, where there's not a lot of creatives in finance. Um, there's not a lot of people thinking about new ways you can do finance. And when you do bring up a new way in finance, there's not a lot of people wanting to give their money to that. Uh, so, yeah, like trying things that people haven't tried <laughs> because people haven't got the money to try and falling on your face has been, you know, just a part of the process. And even managing a team, that's like probably my least favorite. But yeah, I mean, I have an amazing team who you know, helps me out a lot, but, you know, still being a manager. My greatest win, I'd, I'd say it was actually over COVID. Like, I'm really proud of how, you know, we performed as a team. Like, we really were like a two and a half, three, <laughs> sometimes like person team in over like 2020 and 2021. Everyone else, I feel like all my friends like got to take time off, gain skills, become a better person. And I was just like sprinting. <laughs> I felt like I, I was sprinting for like almost three years. Um, but in that time, we, we gave out $1.8 million in grants, like free money to, you know, just different entrepreneurs in Atlanta. And, you know, being able to, to see that because, yeah, people were struggling. During COVID and, you know, PPP funds missed a lot of black businesses. One statistic that people don't really, you know, lift up enough is the fact that 96% of black businesses in Atlanta have zero one employees. That means that they don't even hire themselves as employees oftentimes. They're like themselves as a contractor. And as a result, it's like when you talk about PPP funding, they only do payroll. Like it's payroll protection plan. So if you're not payroll, then you don't have access to that money. So again, 96% of businesses are automatically disqualified. Um, and yeah, so a lot of, a lot of people fell between the cracks and, you know, just, you saw a lot of businesses really struggling to hang on. So being able to send out those, you know, five, 10, $15,000, even $19,000 checks, I feel like uh, for some people. So that, that was a big one for sure. Oh, I love it. Oh, Dante, so cool the work that you do. Over the last eight and a half years in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. You know, you've received a lot of recognition for your work. And most recently, you were featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. What are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? I don't know how many people are familiar with principles first thinking. For me, it was just kind of common sense, but they now have vocabulary for it. So things are complex until they don't work. And oftentimes people accept things as simple until they get to a point where it doesn't work. But I find that a lot of times innovation comes from understanding how complex something is before it breaks. Because a lot of times with that, it's like, a lot of entrepreneurship is critical thinking. <laughs> it's solving problems. It's being able to break down something to its base elements and figure something out. There is a lot of uh, 
institutional knowledge and traditional knowledge that is the best guess of the people that came before you. Um, so it is helpful, you know, to learn from them. Um, but it is also necessary to think for yourself. Because not only are we in a vastly different world um, than they were in also often, but like we have access to different tools that they didn't have. Um, and they were building off of the knowledge of the people before them. And now we have the ability to build off their knowledge. Um, so I do believe that, yeah, print, like thinking for yourself is important. <laughs> you know, going with the crowd, you will not get anything that separates you from the crowd. Um, so if you say you want to be unique, you can't be probably not do the same thing that everybody else is doing. So that's one. I say that too is do something you're passionate about. Like I know I see a lot of people talking about, hey, do this thing to get this money. You can follow your passions later. Some people are built like that. And for those people that are, I'm, I'm very proud of it. <laughs> but I personally am not built like that. I personally am not. Like the things that kept me going in the hard moments were passion. Um, and always to root myself in the work and in the people. It's like ego. I've seen ego take a lot of small business owners out. I've seen a lot of people with great ideas and even great team members um, who just, as a result of ego, be careful and cognizant of that and, and don't get out of your own way is basically. <laughs> and when people are trying to help you, like let them help you and don't just necessarily assume that people are trying to take things from you. Because uh, there's a lot of trust piece there. And um, I guess the third advice is like, I guess I, this will pertain more like physical and mental health, but stay in shape. <laughs> uh, one thing that, that I I was really athletic in high school and then tore my ACL in college. And, you know, like I started really playing basketball because of that, but like was getting more into my business stuff. And then you spend more and more time sitting down and then COVID happened and you spend two years inside. <laughs> and yeah, it's like your body doesn't move the way it's used to. And it's like, when the fuck? Like relearning my body, repicking up old habits. Um, I hadn't played basketball in so long. I repicked that up this year. And it's just wild how like my body is not moving the way that it used to move. So and yeah, it's like I've realized that more as I've been paying more attention to that, I've felt better. And, you know, mental health plays a role in that as well. And that's just like the basis level that you can do for self-care <laughs> is, you know, discipline uh, with that kind of stuff. So I feel like if you never get out of shape, you don't have to get back in shape. And getting back in shape is the worst part. And, yeah, it's just like it does have effects outside of just being in shape. It's like, no, you, you feel better. And, you know, that voice in your head that is like always badgering you it'll gain respect as you put in more work so yes 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 amen to that oh dante before i ask you the final question i just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing you know, for showing us, in particularly us ambitious, young, you know, black and brown founders that if we have a vision, a goal and kind of a desire to help people, we actually can do it, even if it is really damn hard, even if it takes many, many years, if we stick at it, we can get there. 
And for that, we really appreciate you. I appreciate y'all. I've actually, uh, I heard a saying recently, I forget who said it, um, but it's basically like you can have anything in the world that you want if you help enough people. Mm. Oh, I love that. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Value is, is having that extra oomph. I have weird passions. Um, I'm, I'm autistic, so I have special interests. Uh, but in that, it's like finance, you know, technology, uh, Web 3.0 is like a new interest of mine. And it's like there are a lot of things that just economics in general that. And then just people like these are all things that because I'm passionate about, I think about naturally. Um, and I, I feel like it helps in your work if like that's the case. Like the things that I come up with on a daily basis, um, the dots that I'm able to connect. I saw something that I was really interested in. I studied the hell out of it. And, you know, as a result, like I can apply this to my work in a way that most people can't. And yeah, I mean, that helps because when you're genuinely a part of something, when you genuinely have love for something, like you understand the nuances, you understand the parts that people just know it because they have to. Like anything can be simple and anything can be made more and more complex. And basically like there's levels to this shit. And that I feel like the people that can get the most levels deep are often like it's it only passion. It's only passion that will take you that deep. Um, so, and that is when you have that special information, that special knowledge, that thing that comes from experience, because there's a lot of things that you can read in a book, but there's certain things that you will only learn with experience. And that's something that a lot of people won't have if they are passionate about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of benefits from it. It'll be your gas when you're tired. It'll give you extra nuance to the way you talk about your subject matter. And you'll care more. And when you care more, you'll work harder. <laughs> it's just, yeah, you'll, you'll, you won't mind putting the work in. Ah. <sighs> Oh my goodness, Dante, so well said. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely awesome. Where can we learn more about you and the Village Micro Fund? Um, I'm on Instagram as Dante Lamonte. <laughs> That's actually my real name. <laughs> and I also have the Village Micro Fund Instagram where we consistently post. And we also have the Village Micro Fund website and we'll uh, soon be dropping uh, our village seed platform, which is our redeveloped crowdfunding platform. So I appreciate the conversation. Thank you for reaching out to me. I enjoyed this a lot. Amazing. Of course. I appreciate you. We'll link them all up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, 
Head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. Peers.